Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue our study as we look uh, verse by verse through this book of Galatians, uh, looking at verse 1. I did like your snuggler. That was nice. Very appropriate. Very appropriate. We are continuing. Uh, Paul is making this transition, talking about what it means to be saved by grace. And he has been under attack in this book. And he's been defending his apostleship and, and the message that he's been teaching them. Uh, that uh, you're not entered into the kingdom of God by uh, grace and then you go into obeying the law as some way of completing the task of, of God saving you. And, and so he was dealing with folks who were saying that, you know, if you really want to be a follower of God, you really want to be good, it's okay to enter in by grace, but somewhere along the way, you've got to pick up the, the, the Jewish laws and, and go through the full acts of, of circumcision and, and the dietary laws and the various uh, ways of, of being a Jew in that day and time. And so he was saying, you know, this is not just a distortion. This is another gospel entirely. Uh, when you start adding in works, and we talk about today how we still have a tendency to do that, to add works, and that we can become better Christians. And we've got this idea of a hierarchy of Christians based on what you do and don't do. But when you see in the scriptures that a Christian is uh, simply in uh, in God, by being in Christ and in Christ alone, that is a work of the grace of God, the work of God that brings us there. And so consequently, there is no room for second class Christians. There is no room for boasting either, except for boasting in Christ. Uh, and so this is kind of the thought that, that Paul is bringing uh, to the, the church in Galatia. Uh, I want to continue that. And talk about how the gospel of grace is fueled by faith. And faith alone. Uh, and that's how this grace that God gives us is effective to us. And, and to help us understand this idea, going on the, those images that many of us have seen of the tsunami. Uh, there's just amazing footage of, of what it's like to see a whole cell uh, tsunami coming there and wrecking wholesale damage, rather, on, on cities. And you know, I share with you this, this thought of, of looking at it from above and seeing this wall of water just rushing in and wiping out greenhouses and barns and houses. And you see cars and boats collected together like straw in this water. And it's just being rushing toward other houses and buildings and edifices and, and destroying, leaving just destruction behind. And just imagining in that moment in time, we're standing there and we've seen this come at us. What good is it in that moment in time to go over swimming lessons? To say, okay, you see that that's coming, Let, let's... Let's make sure we know how to swim. I mean, how do you how do you deal with that when you got a sea of cars coming at you? Um, just the imminent destruction that people were facing, still facing. Like I said, it takes your breath away. But we see the futility of our own human efforts in the face of that, don't we? I mean, if you're standing there, how do you avoid that? 
How do you survive that by our human efforts? And this is one natural disaster. You look at the earthquake and, and you're seeing uh, <laughs> earth cracking open. And you see buildings shaking and there's just a sense of where do we go? How do we escape the shaking of our foundations? And, you know, what earth, or what man-made uh, device do we have to rescue us from that moment in time? And this, this is just nature. How much more, when we read in the Bible that there is a God who made these things, that a God who is greater than the seas, that a God who created the foundation says to us there will be a day and time when He brings His power to bear as judgment on our sin. How much more futile will be our efforts to try to stem the tide against the judgment of God? But nonetheless, that is what mankind does, and it's called religion. It is man-made efforts to try to stem the tide against the judgment of God, and that by our religious acts and religious deeds, we will escape the judgment for our sin. Now, if you could imagine in that moment of time, if somehow, some way, we were standing there and the tsunami is coming toward us, the earth is shaking around us, nuclear reactors are being destroyed, in that moment of time, as you see that wall of water come, that before it hits you, the earth opens up, and that wave of water that would soon be in upon you goes into the ground. And it's avoided entirely. That is what you have in Jesus Christ. Who, in the moment of time, says, if I don't do this, you will be judged for your sin in such incredible ways that your mind cannot fathom how it's going to go. But I stand and I open up the doors and I receive all of God's wrath, His judgment for your sin. That's what we call grace. That's what we call the gospel of grace, that God did something that we could not do. We cannot, in all our efforts, get right with God. We cannot, in all our efforts, be found in the right before God because of the sin in our life. We cannot, in our efforts, but what we cannot do, Jesus does for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a precious scripture where he says, He became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And this is the idea. This is the picture before us. And so, just like you cannot be rescued except for the grace of God, so how do we continue in this walk with God? Once we understand that we are saved by grace through faith, how do we progress? How do we live our life walking with the Lord? At Galatians 2.20, we looked at last week, gives us a little hint where it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, in the life of which I now live, uh, in the flesh I live by faith, the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. It gives us a little idea of how we progress, but you know we need a little explaining there. Uh, and I think what we're going to find here, it provides a little bit of explaining of what it means to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So, with this thought in mind, we want to look at this passage, Galatians 3, verse 1-9 through 9 is... Perhaps all that we'll have time to do, 
this this morning. And so what I want to present to you, why is the gospel fueled by faith? Why is that the case, that it's faith that matters here? And so uh, let's just, uh, in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read it. If you'll read silently, and I'll read aloud to you. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, It was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are of the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of a faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You may be seated. We've already been struck several times with strong language by Paul. I think it's somewhat funny. Uh, Galatians 6 1 is where he tells us that if any man is overtaken in sin, let him uh, restore such one in a spirit of gentleness. Um, so he tells us to rebuke folks in the spirit of gentleness, but here it's in this book where in the very beginning in Galatians chapter 1 he says, Look, if anyone's preaching to you another gospel, let him be damned. I mean, you just don't see that in other places. Let him be damned. Even, even if an angel of heaven preaches something different. So he's not only applying this to himself and to others, but even if angels from heaven preach something different, he says, let them be damned. That's, that's pretty, pretty strong. And then Galatians chapter 2, he talks about how he rebukes the man who walked on water with Jesus. I think, good night, Paul. And then you come to Galatians chapter 3, and he starts off as, oh, foolish Galatians. <laughs> I think, my. I, I, someone had uh, translated this, uh, J.B. Phillips had, had brought it like this. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Surely you cannot be so idiotic. It helps us understand what he's saying here. Um, but this is gentleness. Uh, it, what he's doing, he's, he's grabbing the attention of the Galatians. He also, in another way, tells them, you're my brother. Okay, So it's not just calling them idiots. Uh, he's also saying, you're my brother. Uh, but uh, I, I just can't help but notice that. And it says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this is the only time you see that word in the New Testament, the, this bewitching. And it's, it's the idea that you give someone the evil eye, you cast a spell over, or you're fascinated in the original, uh, in the original sense of, of holding someone spellbound by some irresistible power. Okay, So it's that uh, fascinate, the original sense of the word fascinate. Who has fascinated you with some irresistible power? Now, what's implied in this is that there is actually one who is doing this. And I believe this is perhaps an allusion to Satan himself, who is working to deceive, I believe, all churches of the gospel. And so that's why it's so important to constantly be going back to the Word of God. That's why I preach the Bible. I'm not here to give you my opinions. I'm not going to give you the five uh, five ways to a successful life or marriage or things like that. I'm not going to be doing the topical thing because I read here that in this, there is one who's trying to deceive us. So consequently, if I start relying on my own opinions and ideas of how we ought to be living, I leave a lot of room 
for twisting. Okay? And so, that's why I'm teaching you Galatians. And you think, well, that, you know, what does that have to do with me? Well, that's my job. I want you to understand how this relates to you. So, there is one who is trying to deceive us. And so he, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as, as crucified. Now, what he's not talking about here is that they were witnesses to the cross. But what he's saying is that we so proclaim Christ in a very public way, so that you understood that Jesus died for you. He died for your sins. In fact, that's the idea in Galatians chapter 1, right from the very beginning, when he talks about Jesus Christ who gave himself uh, for your sins to deliver you from this present evil age. And I think that's very much on his mind here. I want to tell you about the cross of Christ who gave this, gave himself to keep you from being bewitched by the one of this age. Okay? So, we come now to verse 2. Uh, I think this is great. Verse 2. Let me ask you only this. Here's what I love. You get this idea. He's going to ask you this one question. He then proceeds to ask six questions, uh, rhetorical questions, one after the other. I think that's, oh uh, yeah, that's, that's a pastor, that's a preacher for you. I'm, oh, you know, let's finish up with this. And it goes for 15 more minutes, you know. Uh, and so let me ask you just this one question. Bam, 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 six questions later, all right? And so uh, here he is, he's got these, these questions. Let me ask you only this. But, to be fair, these all questions, six questions, can be summed up in one. Uh, and, and really the first one right here. Uh, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Okay? Now, here's the first thing that we understand. Why is it important that the gospel is fueled by faith? It's because it's how we began our walk with God to begin with. So consider how we began our walk with God. And that's the question he's getting to the heart here. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law or by the hearing with faith. And so is it done by works, the works of law, or is it done by hearing the faith? Do you, is it simply because you believed the gospel of Christ? And, and that's the question that's being asked here. And, and it's uh, implied, yes, it was done by hearing the works or by hearing of Christ, not by doing the works of the law. Now, notice, did you receive the Spirit? He's talking about the Spirit of God here. Uh, this is a critical part of what it means to be a believer in Christ. In fact, Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So, according to the Bible, the Spirit of God is the evidence uh, that you are made right with God, that you have been justified with God, is that there is a divine spirit that is given to you. Now, uh, some would say, well, we are all children of God when we were born and that God made us. Well, yes, God did make us, but we were born in our selfishness, born in our sin. No one taught you how to be jealous. No one taught you how to be selfish. No one taught you how to lie. Why? You didn't need to. You were born with a selfish nature within you that separated you from God. God is holy. He is without sin. And in fact, is abhorrent to it, hates it. And so there is division right from the beginning. Uh, and so for something to, for us to be reconciled with God, to be having the Spirit of God in our life required a vast change of our life, heart. This is what we call being justified 
where that earth opens up and God receives the wrath of God for your sin. Now that his holiness has been satisfied, his justice is satisfied, he says, I want to give you my spirit to give evidence that you are now right with me. You see, eternal life doesn't begin just when you die. Eternal life begins at the moment you turn your heart to Christ in faith, trusting in his grace. It is at that moment the Spirit of God enters in, and Jesus defined eternal life as this, that you may know God. And so you start walking with Him, you start talking with Him, and there's a change that begins on the inside because of the Spirit of God. So, how did the Spirit of God come? Was it because you were circumcised, because you came to church, uh, because you did the Ten Commandments? The answer is no, they did none of these things, but the Spirit of God came upon them when they heard about what Jesus Christ did for them, and they trusted in it and believed in it wholeheartedly. Didn't add anything to it, okay? Then the Spirit of God comes in their life. Verse 3, here you go again. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And so, here's what I want to say to you. Why is it important that the gospel is fueled by faith? It's how we begin our walk with God, but how we begin is how we end. All right, That's the point he's bringing. Just as you uh, receive Christ... So walk ye in him, according to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. This is something that, just as you begin, there is no other uh, dimension that's added to you that helps you grow. So this idea of perfection, in other words, completed. Your life is now completed, not because of all the works that you did, but because of the work of God that's being done in your life. The last few weeks I've been sharing this analogy with you of, of what salvation by grace is, is, is trying to cross the sea, trying to cross, cross the Atlantic Ocean by swimming. And it doesn't really matter if you're a good swimmer. You may get further than someone else, but the gulf is too vast for you to actually cross. And so it doesn't really matter what your works are, how good a person you are. None of them will work for you to cross the gulf of the ocean. And that what we have is that Jesus is coming along in his boat and he's saying, Hey, <laughs> You want some help? Uh, and there is no other boat coming out there. Jesus is the only one that says, I can rescue you from this ocean of sin. And he pulls us up out. Okay, And so therefore, because we're in his boat, there's no more room for complaints as to where God takes us. Grace removes us from complaining. We're just glad to be in the boat. We're glad to be saved. And we thank God. And wherever he takes us is where we go. And so, imagine, if you will... He's taking you and you get close and you start seeing the African shore. And then, oh, about 10 miles out, he says, okay, I've taken you thousands of miles. Let's just take it from here. You go off the boat now. I'm, I'm going to go on and get someone else. <laughs> so you look at him like, oh, um, so how far? 10 miles. 10 miles. So what does it matter if you sink and drown a thousand miles offshore or ten miles offshore? Okay? The idea is that all of this is being done by God in our life through His Spirit. So just as we began, we're going to get to the final destination of being removed from the very presence of sin and being in the presence of God all by God's work through us, in us, okay? It's all done 
by the Lord. And so that's the point he's bringing here. Having begun by the Spirit, are you being now, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Philippians 1 6 says this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Some folks sometimes have a hard time getting this, and, and they say, you know, I don't know if I really want to follow the Lord. Because I'm afraid I'm going to fail that too, like I've failed everything in my life. And I'm so afraid that if I start following the Lord, and I believe what you're saying, Pastor, that I'm saved by grace through faith alone, that there's going to be some time in my life where I'm just going to fall away from God and even shipwreck that. And I don't want to go there. And so, because of their fear of failure, they don't even trust in the one who's saying, come into the boat. And they're saying, well, you know, I think I'm going to jump out of the boat at any moment in time. Here's what I would say to you on that. The Bible describes Jesus as a shepherd, as the good shepherd. And it also describes sheep. Sheep Sheep are dumb animals. The Bible calls us sheep, okay? Um, some of us have, a, have been given a hard time because I called us the church of losers, um, and of which I'm the pastor. Um, but, uh, you know, Paul called his idiots. Um, but the idea is that there's no room for pride. And sheep have a tendency of going astray. The trust of the sheep with the, with the good shepherd is not in the sheep's ability to stay with the shepherd. That's not what holds on that sheep. The sheep's ability, our confidence is in the fact that there is a good shepherd, that when they go astray, that good shepherd brings them back to the fold. And so to you who are saying, you know what, I'm just, I'm thinking that if I just follow Christ, I'm going to jump out of the boat. I don't even want to go there. I'm going to say you still have too much pride that you're de- depending on. It is the fact that there is a good shepherd. There's a good shepherd. I as a sheep tend to mess up. But Jesus as the good shepherd tends to be bringing me back. Bringing me back. And so I live by faith. That even in my sin, even when there are moments and times when I go against God, that there is a God who sees that, is aware of that, and confronts me in my spirit, rebukes me, and will give me the forgiveness of God, and will give me the grace to bring me back again. I'm astounded how many times it is God's grace that wins me over. There are moments and times when I just walk away from God, and I know it. I just know it. And I'm thinking, oh man, I can't continue like this. I need to, I need to get right. But I've got in my mind that... Alright, I will eventually, but I'm going to have to deal with the scolding that God's going to give me. Because that's how I grew up, honestly. Some of you grew up the same way, and some of you are doing the same thing to your kids. Um, Alright, yeah, I'm going to bring you back to my family, you're going to get your, your, your restored, but I'm going to scold you first, you know, just so I'll feel better. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking to myself, okay? Um, but that, that's my mentality, and something. I'm thinking, alright, here we go, and I just kind of delay it. I delay the repentance. But God does something in my life where I know I didn't deserve it. He treats me well. He does some blessing in my life. And I, I fall on my knees and say, God, forgive me for having such ungodly thoughts towards you, of having such hatred towards you. You have won me over by your grace again. And it is as Romans tells us, God's goodness leads me to his repentance. That is just what God does. And I can't explain it other than that's who God is. He does things like that. 
And so, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No, it is by the grace of God. How we begin is how we end. His grace working through the Spirit of God in my life. Now, understand the Spirit of God will work through people, through God's people. And so when someone rebukes you, corrects you, our first instinct is to bow up. What'd you say? <laughs> you know, you talking to me? You know, we may not say that, but that's what we're thinking. Um, but we understand this is how grace of God, the Spirit of God is working through His people. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to be in a church where someone will confront you from time to time. Because we need it. We need it. It is the Spirit of God working in the body of Christ. Now, verse 4. Here's another question. Did you suffer or experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, what he's talking about is the fact that they received this by the grace of God, not because they went circumcised and and did the Jewish laws. They received persecution because of this. They endured hardship because of this. They could have easily avoided the persecution of the Jews by simply saying, yeah, okay, you're right, I'll be circumcised too. But instead they said, no, that's not how we were saved. We were saved because of Jesus Christ and what he did, and we just believed it, and the Spirit of God came in my my life, and and miracles are happening, and I don't understand it, but now you're telling me i got to be circumcised too? And they said no. And because of that, we were persecuted. And now they're starting to fall to that and to walk away from that. And Paul is saying, look, all these things that you've done, standing up for the gospel of Christ, is that now going to be in vain? He says in verse, chapter 2, verse 2, that if you turn away and, and take on the Jewish uh, laws and Jewish duties, then the gospel was preached to you in vain in chapter 2, verse 2. And chapter 2, verse 21, if you start adding on the works to grace, then the whole cross of Christ is in vain in chapter 2, verse 21. And then he says here, if this is indeed done by works instead of the Spirit of God and grace, then the Spirit of God given to you was given in vain. Verse 5, does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of law? are by hearing with faith. And so he goes back to that same thing. Is it by what you did, or is it by what you received and you believed it, trusted in it? Evidently, when these uh, believers were coming to know the Lord, God made evident that they were of God's family. Perhaps maybe it was through speaking in tongues. Perhaps it was made through healings and miracles of various sorts. Maybe it's just the miracle of a changed life. But it was evident to them as well as evident to all that it was God working in them. Now, I know I opened up a can of worms just there, but um, I don't have time to go into that. But just to say that in the New Testament period, that it was necessary for the Jews to be convinced that Gentiles were of the faith and were of God's family. And sometimes God gave evident, obvious signs, such as speaking in tongues. You don't see that happen much after um, the Jews were convinced. But let's keep on reading here. We come across this this other idea here. Um, The Spirit of God is working miracles. And I'm going to say one of the miracles that he does is is he gives to us in the the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 6. He says, because your sons, God had sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is given to us to give us some assurance, a sense of that we are in His family. Chapter 5, he talks about what the result of the Spirit of God is in our life. The 
love of God and the fruit of the Spirit that happens. Now, I'm just going to tell you that as we read through this, some of us are having a hard time receiving this. There is something within ourselves that rejects having faith and faith alone as the grounds for which God is, is doing this work. There's something within us that wants to work for our gifts. That's called pride. I've shared with you before a good way to ruin a prideful person is by giving them something. It just tears them up. I mean, they just want to work for it and they want to feel obligated to you in some way. And it just messes with them. Growing up, I had a grandfather that saw it as the Lord's direction to give me his cars. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty amazing deal. Um, Cadillacs, you know, nice cars. And uh, let me share this story. It's embarrassing. I, I torture myself. Okay. I was driving out his car one time. He let me drive. Narrow garage. And I'm thinking I'm careful driving really slow. But the only effect it had was that it slowly tore off the side mirror. (laughs) Mortified. Absolutely mortified. Of course, you know, side mirror on a Cadillac costs a few thousand dollars. But then he gives me the car. What's that called? That's a gift. It's grace. It's not earned. I've gave him every reason not to give it to me. But he did. And I drived it around. I still drive it around. Long after he's gone. It has an effect. Every time I drive that car, I'm stepping into grace. Okay? This is what God does he gives us this grace and we there's a part of us that wants to reject that we i'm going to tell you that was humbling for me i couldn't pay him back i was a 20 year old kid in college i couldn't pay him back but the the gift that god has given us has been so much more precious we can't pay him back deal with it just deal with it Let your pride be crucified and say, God, thank you. Thank you for that. Our tendency is let pride go out into religion. Let pride go into being a good person, a moral person. But I'm going to tell you that has the same effect of trying to swim against a tsunami. God's even greater than that tsunami. Call it being baptized. Call it going to church. Call it uh, meditation. Call it the, the Quran and, and do your five pillars of your faith. You can call it any number of things, and every religion seems to have their list of things you do and don't do. But this is what's unique about the gospel is that it says, This is what Jesus did for you. This is what Jesus did for you. I can't say that enough. Now, we go on down, verse 6. Why is it important that the gospel. Of grace is running by faith. According to this passage, verse 6 through verse 9, and actually all the way through the end of chapter 4, here's why. It's, it's how God has always worked in the Bible. It's how God has always worked in the Bible. Mankind, all throughout the ages, from the beginning to today, it has always been the grace of God by faith. 
Yes, even Abraham, who is considered the father of the Jews. Okay, Even Abraham, the, what Paul is bringing to our attention is that he too was saved by faith, or by the grace of God through faith. So, it says, verse 6, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, he quotes Genesis 15, verse 6. Now, there's a reason why we did Genesis several years ago. Because it's the foundation. It's the foundation that Paul goes back to, that the author of Hebrews goes back to. It's what Jesus is going back to. He says, I've come to fulfill the law. You need to know Genesis. If you have never studied Genesis, I, I would just point you to the website. There is a list of two years of sermons, <laughs> chapter by chapter, that you can go to on our, on our website. Uh, and to, to bone up on this. You need to know this. So he says, just like Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Again, Genesis 15, 6. Now what's interesting is that 15, 6 comes before 17, verse 24. You think, well, okay, pastor, that's not brilliant. But here's what happens is in 17, 24. God gives him the direction to be circumcised. Before he ever gives him the direction to be circumcised, God counted Abraham as righteous because of his faith. What does that tell you? Salvation wasn't because you were circumcised and entered into the Jewish ceremonial rules or the moral rules. It happened because he believed God and was counted as righteousness. It was given to him. He was made in the right. So verse 7. Know ye then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Okay? So what he's saying here in verse 7 is that those who are the sons of Abraham are so not just because of their biological descent, not just because of their genes, but it's because of faith. Now, you need to know in that day and time, and in Jesus' day and time, to be called the son of Abraham was to be equated with being a part of God's kingdom. If you are a son of Abraham, then it was the same as you are in heaven. You're in God's kingdom. You have, you can rest assured that you are right with God. And so that's the terminology to mean the son of Abraham. I think about Luke uh, 19 when, when Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus, the hated person of society in that day because he was a chief tax collector. But yet because of his faith and turning to God, he says today he is also a son of Abraham. What is he saying? He's saying he's part of the, the kingdom of God. And that day and time, folks thought, well, because I'm a Jew, I'm good. I'm golden. I'm right with God. I've got my ticket in hand. And if I, I've ever challenged because of my immoral actions, I just go back to the fact that, hey, I'm a son of Abraham. We tend to do that with being a part of the church. Because I prayed a prayer, because I had, I had a ticket to heaven, then, then I can live however way I want. Listen, I'm going to just share with you the faith that saves you is the faith that saves you. Saves you not just from the eternal uh, punishment, but saves you from the very power of sin in your life. You can't separate the two. And so there's going to be a change that occurs in your life. And so he says, look, the sons of Abraham are not the ones who are just born that way. They are that way by faith. Verse 8, he gives evidence. He points to Scripture here. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations be blessed. All right. So in other words, it has always been God's plan for all the nations to be in part of God's kingdom. It has always been his plan. It hasn't been or it never was just the Jews. It never was just one group. It never was just the Anglo-European of the West. It never was just the Americans. It has always been God's plan for all the nations to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Christ. It goes all the way back to the days of Abraham, centuries before Jesus walked this earth. It was prophesied 
long before that it was God's plan for all the nations to come into the family of God. Notice what he says in verse 8. Saying to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. He's quoting Genesis 12, verse 3. So all the nations will be blessed through the person of Abraham somehow, some way. And this is fulfilled in the fact that Jesus Christ is the descendant of Abraham. And in him is opened the door for salvation to all the Gentiles, to all the nations. And so Genesis 12, thousands of years before Jesus walked this earth, is prophesied and comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Genesis 17, verse 4 and 5 says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Notice the phrase, multitude of nations. All right. Now, we know biologically that the Israelites, uh, the Jews, came from Abraham. We could also say the Edomites also came from them. Uh, we've, we've got this where we can say one or two nations, but this says multitude of nations. I usually uh, count multitudes more than two, right? So what is he talking about? He's saying that there's something that's going to happen that's more than just biological. Yeah, there's two or three nations to come, but a multitude of nations is so much more than that. There's something that happens in Abraham in his seed that embraces multitude of nations, and it's not just biological. I have a, um, my father-in-law has challenged me from time to time. He's into numbers. He's, a, he, he's uh, got his master's in statistics, all right? Um, so that's his thing. And so he also is a student of the Bible and reads it and was sharing with me. He said, do you know they are discovering more and more stars? I mean, they thought they had a good estimate of stars. He said, there are more stars by far than they are sands of the earth. And he's the kind of guy that knows stuff like that. And he says, you know, the Bible says that there will be the sons of Abraham will number more than the stars. How's that true? <laughs> he says, there's, there's, it hasn't been. It's just not true. As far as we're looking at biologically, at this point it's not. Maybe someday it will. But biologically it's not the same number as the stars. And that's where I come in and read Galatians. and says, you need to understand. When God was talking here, it wasn't just saying the biological He says, all of the nations, the multitudes can be embraced and be a part of Abraham's lineage because it's a heritage of faith, not blood. So, he says, verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before unto Abraham, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Now, here, he says, you'll be blessed. And Paul says, how will they be blessed? Verse 8, that they would be justified. How is the blessing of God measured? It's measured in the fact that we've been justified. Now, I've talked with you last week. Remember, men and women, how we define justification? It's not the same as forgiveness, just as the same way, women. You don't always want to be forgiven in an argument, but you want to be justified in an argument. You want to be declared in the right, all right? Well, that's what the Bible has given to us, is that we are declared in the right. Not only is forgiven given to us, which is huge, But then he says, above and beyond, I declare you right. You are in the right before God. I may be in the wrong before my wife. I may be in the wrong before my children. I may be wrong in before the nations of this world. But before God, I am in the right. And it's not because of what I did. It's because God gave it to me. This 
is a blessing. So when I come before God and there's some kind of judgment accounting of the sins and, and say, okay, well, here's a time to bring my sins before God. God says, what sins? All I see is righteousness. The righteousness of my son, Jesus Christ. You're in the right. I can't put a value on that. I can't put a dollar amount on that. When we're talking about blessings and being blessed, that is the blessing. And if you've got that blessing of being right before God, what does it matter if you've got the cursings of the world? If you've got the blessings of being right before God, what does it matter if you've got the poverty of this world? Verse 9, well, look, let's look again at this. In you are, shall all the nations be blessed. I think about what John describes Jesus saying. In John 8, verse 39, he's referring to the Jews of the day, the religious, and he says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would have been doing what Abraham did. What? Living by faith, trusting the grace of God. Instead, he said, you are the son of a devil. And then John eight fifty six, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He saw it and was glad. I personally think that Abraham met Jesus when it talks about the angels coming and angel of God coming and meeting with Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. Jesus certainly thought that he saw him. But when he saw the day of Jesus, when he saw Jesus on the cross, when he saw the resurrection, he rejoiced because he said, I wondered how all the nations would be blessed in me. But here, my son, the lineage, is actually the son of God. And he dies on the cross as God being the eternal one, taking care of the sin of all mankind. And in so doing, forgiveness is extended to all who will come to him. And knowing his forgiveness extended, they are made right, those who come to him. And so he was glad. Verse 9, so then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. A man is dangerously hanging from the edge of a cliff, calling out for help. And he asks, can anyone help me? And a voice, a heavenly voice comes out and says, Yes. He says, I'll help you, but first you must let go. Let go, but then I'd fall. I'll catch you, said the voice. After a long pause, the man called out, Can anyone else up there help me? There is a disdain for that type of grace and mercy. And here is the reality given to us by the Word of God. There is no one else there to help you. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man might be saved. There is no other way. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but through me. The fact of the matter is, there is no other one, no other way that takes care of the sin that is in our life and makes it so that we are in the right. So please, 
Do not be bewitched. Do not be held by someone who doesn't want you to hear this. Don't be bewitched and spellbound. But understand there is one who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. Began in his heart. It was delivered by the Son and it was made real in our life by the Spirit. Will you enter into this walk with God, this eternal life? Father, Son, and Spirit working in you. Let's pray.